All right, all right, all right. It is uh, seven, uh, five minutes after seven on a Monday night. That means the first edition of the uh, Employment Hour for this week. If you, if your week starts on Monday, that's that's why we're here. Monday night, Wednesday night at this time, the weekend shows and Employment Hour in 30 happens on your weekend. Uh, Global TV and CTV. We are all over TV and radio like a hobo and a ham sandwich. And the phone lines open already as well for your phone calls. 416-870-6400-STAR-640 on cell if you prefer. Something else from our menu, one triple eight two two five talk toll-free, the number. Yeah, Stan Fainzelberg is in. See, we've had Stan do this, John Pincus. We've had Lior do this. We've had uh, we've had so many people. It just, it just speaks to the depth of that law firm when so many guys know their stuff good enough that they can crack open a mic, throw on some headphones, answer some phone calls, and fill your head with very important knowledge about the workplace, whether it's about, uh, you know, your severance or your job. Maybe you're an employer and you've got problems with an employee at work. Maybe it's something to do with overtime. Maybe you're not sure if you're a dependent contractor, independent contractor, a worker, plain old employee. We covered all here, and the phone calls are key, so uh, so bring them on. We're ready till about 10 to 8, like Alex said. So, again, 416-870-6400-STAR-640 on sale. We'll get to, actually, contractors versus employees. I know, Stan, you want to cover that, brother, so we'll do that here in just a bit. But as you know from listening and your first time doing the show, welcome uh, welcome aboard, brother. Come on in. The water is wet, and we always <laughs> start with the, uh, the week that was. How you doing, pal? I'm doing well. Thank you for that very nice introduction, John. Yeah, <laughs> man. Hopefully I get to live up. To it. So uh, I did want to start the week off by talking about something that I think is affecting a lot more people nowadays uh, than and that don't necessarily know their rights around this particular area. Right. And what I'm specifically talking about is what we call family status discrimination. Okay. So, so the reason that I got to thinking about this this week is because I have a client who has this particular situation going on. Um, this, this particular individual was a driver for a waste management company for about 10 years. He is also divorced with a son, and that son has developmental and behavioral issues to the point where, you know, when he gets really riled up, that son can have a tantrum, can actually get right. physically violent. So on, on the particular day, he was uh, driving his regular route when he got a call from his babysitter. And the babysitter was telling him exactly what was going on, that the son was getting really riled up, that she couldn't control him, that she needed him to come home and try to calm him down before he got violent. So really, my client, without really thinking about what he was doing, just took his his waste management truck, drove it off route and took it home and to make sure he was taking care of his son. Uh, didn't have time necessarily at the moment to call his employer. Really didn't affect his day too much because he, he, he took about an extra hour for his lunch, but he ultimately went back and finished his day and finished his route, told his employer the next day. They got so upset that they actually let him go from his job. And what we're the position that we're taking now is that that you've discriminated against him because my client has legal obligations to his child. And so I want to introduce this concept of family status discrimination and talk a little bit about it because I feel like a lot of people don't know about their rights when it comes to these things. And it comes up a lot, John, when talking about daycare specifically. Right. Um, daycare, unfortunately, the hours are pretty rigid, as you probably know. They often coincide with most parents' hours and their obligations to their employers. So the, really, what is a person supposed to do in that instance? And oftentimes, if they can't come up with any alternative for picking their child up, as they're legally obligated to do then oftentimes the employer will have to accommodate them, work around that schedule, and give them time 
to go and take care of their child and make sure that they're meeting those legal obligations. And beyond that, that it doesn't only apply to children. It actually applies to our obligations as children to our parents. You know, as the province gets older and older, this is going to become more and more of an issue, I think. Uh, people are going to, you know, have to have parents who have significant medical issues. And again, those medical issues, they have to go and attend to medical appointments. Those appointments, again, only, you know, the schedule works similar to our schedules. Right. Medical practitioners don't work a, outside of a nine to five generally. And so if you need to take your parents in, uh, to a medical appointment and they have no, no one else who can do it, your employer may be legally obligated to accommodate you, give you that time off, and let you go and take your parent to that medical appointment. So just wanted to highlight that. I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who, uh, who have similar issues. And if you do have a similar issue, feel free to contact me either today on the radio or during my day job. By the way, to get a hold of Stan and the rest of the team at the firm, if you don't know the number by now, one 821 5900 help at employmenthour.com. If we got some time later on, we'll get to some emails, Stan, and we'll get to our phone calls here as well, 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. I see them starting to line up now, so we'll uh, we'll get to those quite swiftly. But, uh, you know, with that matter you just spoke about, beyond the human rights angle, I mean, the fact that he did this one time, as far as we know, took the truck off his route, to uh, pick up his kid, would that even rise to cause, to fire him for cause? Well, I'm certainly arguing it doesn't. Uh, They've taken the position, unfortunately, that it does. There's a couple of other things at play here because he wasn't necessarily the most stellar of employees, I will admit. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, this one particular instance I don't think can rise to that level, and I certainly don't think it can be relied upon even for disciplinary purposes to even issue a warning because, again, what was he supposed to do in the instance? He has legal obligations to his child, you know, and if his child becomes physically violent and injures for someone, he'd be he'd be liable for that situation. Pretty good. uh, Pretty good angle on that one. Four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred star six forty on cell or if you prefer one triple eight. 225 talk that is toll free as uh, as always top priority is with the uh, with the good listenership and the callers uh, john thanks for hanging on fella how are you tonight oh pretty good thanks good so what's on your mind brother i'm uh, i'm wondering uh, what are the rules for employees looking at uh, employers rather looking at uh, employee personal social networking sites either what they post publicly or what they post in private groups about their lives uh, which might include comments about their employer. Yeah, well, thank, that's a really, really good question, John. Uh, the reality is that if you're posting something publicly on a public website like Facebook, you know that the the perception is that that's open to the public. Anyone can go and read that message. If your boss is you know, a friend of yours on Facebook, or you have an open profile, and they read some things that you say about them, they may not like. You know, that may not amount to cause by any means, but it certainly can lead to your termination from your employment. So I always tell people that it's best, honestly, I I personally stay away from all forms of social media as best I can. Uh, Generally, if you want to say something about your employer, certainly don't do it in writing. That's probably the biggest mistake that people make. Right. Okay. And what about pre-employment? If I'm looking for a job, can they they troll through to see what kind of... uh person I am that's in stuff that's not related to my uh, perspective of work? Yeah, again, if it's a public forum and they have access to that information, there's really nothing you can do to restrict them from getting that information uh, and from relying on it to determine whether you're necessarily a suitable 
candidate for the for their job. Hmm. Uh, that being said, now if you, they're posting something about a disability or th- something that may be a protected ground uh, of discrimination, and they rely on that particular fact to deny you a job or or advancement of any kind, again, that in and of itself would be discrimination and would allow you to pursue the, uh, some uh, damages with respect to your human rights. All right. Thank you. Yeah, no problem, John. Appreciate that, John. You want to reach out to any further with other matters, uh, the number one 821 5900 You can also email us, help at employmenthour.com to get hold of Stan or Lior or Dave or John, a member of the team that has been doing this show for uh, for so many years on the air. We'd love to talk to you as well. 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. I don't believe we've talked about that matter before, Lior and I, when it comes to social media. Um, do they have a right to know your passwords and access to if you're on a work computer? Can can they do that? I guess the the answer would often be depends. You know, yeah. I wouldn't say they have a right to know your social media passwords. That's private information. You certainly don't mm-hmm. have to divulge that. Uh, but at the same time, they there are certainly tools that allow them to restrict your access to these websites right. at work. Uh, now, if you there, I can see instances where you know if you've left a your password open or if you've saved the login credentials onto your computer and they somehow access information that way, you know, you've kind of, you open yourself up to that and it becomes a very interesting situation. But generally speaking, I I would say that they can't force you to give up your passwords and your login credentials Mm -hmm. to websites that have really nothing to do with your employment. We'll uh, move on to a, uh, to another call. Bill, thank you for, uh, for hanging on. How are you tonight? Not too bad. Good. What's your concern? Well, I got a situation where I'm a salary worker, and uh, my boss told me that since I'm on salary, we had a holiday last week, and uh, he said, okay, you got paid for the holiday, but I expect you to work Saturday to make up your time, Hmm. up to 44 hours. You know what I mean? Yeah, so is this a one-time thing that they're asking you to do, Bill? or no, is this he wants me to do this all the time from now on. He wants you to work every Saturday moving forward. Yeah, every, ho- every holiday, because we work weekends, right? I so see. He wants me to work for free on those weekends where there's a salary. Is, this is just to replace a holiday? A holiday? Yeah. Well, a holiday week. So, I mean, the, the whole idea of a statutory holiday is to give you a day off. And it's not doesn't give your employer a opportunity to replace your day off by making you work a different day, mm-hmm. and that would be a very clear, I think, violation of the Employment Standards Act and the provisions that relate to statutory holidays. Mm-hmm. Again, at the end of the day, the holiday is there so you can have that time off. It's not so it can be replaced and make you work another Saturday to replace it. Mm-hmm. But he not only makes you work that day, but he's not paying you for that day. Yeah, again, that's even more egregious in that situation. As I understood, it, though, he was taking, he was trying to view it as, well, I paid you for the holiday, so you're, you know, you're going to make it up for, to me on Saturday. Yeah, because you're on salary, and I expect you to work so many hours a week. Well, it doesn't matter if you're on salary. Generally speaking, if you're a salaried employee, statutory holiday days off are built into your salary, whether your employer knows that or not. Mm-hmm. So again, he cannot, for, he cannot force you to work that Saturday and to replace the statutory holiday you had off, and he certainly can't force you to work for free by any means. I told him that, and he said, uh, uh, no, that's the way it is, that's the way it's going to be. Well, then you're getting into certainly uh, constructive dismissal issues, and if you want to talk about that, we certainly can get into that as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
Maybe I might do that. Would be a uh, wise idea, Bill. I'm going to give you a number to call and make sure you write this down because I can see this one escalating rather quickly on the uh, on the other side of the table for sure. That number is one eight five five. 821-5900. Again, 1-855-821-5900 to get a hold of Stan. Or a member of the team, uh, when the show is done, help at employmenthour.com. By the way, Bill, is the email address. We'll take our first short break here of the night and wait for the uh, the phone calls. you got some time now to uh, call in, ask your questions just like that. 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. Monday night edition of the Employment Hour here on Global News Radio. You sure are. Stan Fainselberg is your guy tonight as we continue on till around 10 to 8, the Monday night edition of the Employment Hour. If you haven't um, been with us before, welcome to the show. We talk about employment rights as you an employer or an employer for that matter. There's always good nuggets in here for you as well if you're one in owning a business and uh, having to deal with employees in and out uh, day in, day out. This uh, show is for you as well. 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell, or one triple eight two two five talk That number is toll-free. Emails, which we hopefully we'll get to a couple tonight between the phone calls and the uh, the other stuff we want to talk about stand is help at employmenthour.com but uh, as we as we move on here contractors versus employees we get calls i know you get emails at the firm at the office all the time about this yeah right what you need to know give me a little background why you want to cover this well the reason i think this is so important is that i, I see it more and more in my practice of people employers specifically trying to get around their obligations to employees by telling them, hey, why don't you just go set up a business and you get some tax benefits and it's great for you. And a lot of people, you know, kind of buy into that idea that, you know, they get some tax advantages and uh, they get to be their own bosses, so to speak. But very oftentimes the relationship at the end of the day is not a business to business relationship. It is like any other employment relationship, just without a lot of the protections and rights that normal employees have. And that's why I want to, to have that as our topic this week so we can discuss that and give some uh, some listeners out there some more information about it. If any of this piques your interest, by the way, as we sit here in uh, chat, Stan and I, feel free to call us again, 416-870-6400, star 640 and sell, or any of your uh, employment slash severance matters. you got something you've been scratching your head about for uh, for weeks or months, possibly for yourself or a family member or a pal would be a good time to uh, to give us a call and get some answers happening. So I'm going to read, I mean, you got a ton of questions on this. You sent them to me. I'm going to read these just as questions and, uh, and we'll go for it. First one, uh, as it pertains to contractors versus employees, I've worked for a company exclusively for seven years, but I've always been considered an independent contractor by the company. I recently been terminated without receiving anything and want to know if I have any entitlements as far as severance is concerned. What do you say about that? Yeah, and that question uh, highlights really the biggest pitfall of being a contractor, which is if you get let go, you're not getting severance unless you're hiring someone to fight for it. And and this particular individual, you know, there are some certainly in the question, some some factors which I consider pretty strongly to be a indication that it's a employment relationship. And I mean, the first one that jumps out is really that fact that he's worked exclusively for one company for seven years. You know, it's really hard to call yourself a contractor, an independent contractor, for the, and then at the same time work for one company exclusively for that long, for that length of time. Well, yeah, absolutely. You know, we we often we often talk, and I know Lior said this. Now you guys have had this chat that if you know you're a plumber, is a perfect example of a contractor. Mm-hmm. Comes to your house, fixes your stuff, moves on next door, fixes their stuff down the street. He does more stuff. I mean, he's a true contractor, right? Absolutely. 
And if it was that easy, as we've said as well, I mean, every every corporation in the world, from the mom and pop shop to you know Amazon, would would call everybody a contractor because, as you pointed out, the biggest pitfall of being on the receiving end of that is you don't get severance. So there would be absolutely no obligation on the part of the employer if the law is not that not that dumb. It's smarter than that, right? Yeah. At the end of the day, the law doesn't care what you, what the parties call themselves. Right. It really only cares about one one thing, and that's. What is the substance of the relationship? Mm-hmm. Now, what does it look like? Does it look like an employment relationship? Because if it looks like an employment relationship, yeah. legally speaking, it probably is. 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. you have any questions about your job or employment, feel free to call us for the remaining time that we are here. one uh, talk That is toll free. We're talking about contractors versus employees. Another question that came in is this. If I pay my taxes as an independent contractor, is it still possible to be an employee of my company? Again, absolutely. And this goes back to the idea of form versus substance. You know, it doesn't matter what your relationship, what you call it. It doesn't matter if you think that you're a contractor and that you pay taxes as a contractor. At, at the end of the day, the courts are going to sit down and under, look at what are the facts, you know, who's controlling this relationship, who's dictating terms, who who uh, is really the person in control and in power. And if that's the employer, and if it's the employer to a really substantial degree, then if it doesn't matter if you've been paying taxes as an uh, as a contractor for employment purposes, you could still be an employee entitled to severance. Contractors versus employees. Another point is this: is uh, I own my own corporation and provide services through this corporation to a company where I've worked for three and a half years. Uh, we're assuming it's the the main company they work for. Is it possible for me to be considered an employee if I technically work for my own corporation? So I guess he's invoicing them or whatever, right? Yeah, oftentimes, you know, there's obviously two ways that somebody can own a business or multiple ways, no. but the two most frequent ones are you either set up in a corporation or you're a sole proprietor. Right. And if you're setting up a corporation, again, that gives that additional layer to make it look more and more like it's a contractor relationship. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if a company is paying your company and then you're paying yourself. It's really providing that company for your services pretty much as an employee. So, again, this is the form over substance issue. doesn't matter what the form of the relationship looks like or takes. It's about the substance. Let's go through this list, and the list pertains to this question. What are the main factors in determining whether someone is A, an employee, or B, a contractor? Yeah, that's a, a great question, and that's there's really a lot of case laws. Uh, there's a big case from the Supreme Court that really just set the set this list out. Now, this isn't a comprehensive list. It certainly doesn't touch on every factor. Uh, it's generally more of a guiding principles list. So, so the first factor to consider is the level of control that the employer has over the workers' activities. Okay. You know, are they dictating their work schedule? Are they requiring them to have uh, performance reviews? Are they the ones who are dictating all the payment terms? If they, if your, you know, contractor, or in, is doing that, if the company is that paying you as a contractor is doing that, it's a very, very strong indication that you're probably an employee. Okay. Next one mm-hmm. you got here is whether the worker provides their own equipment. Explain that. Yeah, absolutely. So. One of the biggest issues, you know, going back to the plumbers, plumber example, you expect a plumber to come in and bring all their equipment <laughs> if they need to, if they're true contractors, right? So oftentimes you'll be hired as, an, as a contractor, but you'll be provided with your, you know, a truck 
or the software that you need to operate or a computer and laptop and phone and all these other things. And again, the more and more things like that that you're being provided for by your employer, the more it looks like an employment relationship. You know, it's funny. I mentioned that. I think of, you know, the Rogers techs that go around the Rogers vans. They go to different houses all the time, deal with different people, but they're using all the Rogers equipment. They're employees, right? And, yeah. I mean, not, not that they're misclassified, and in fact, that's ever, a, but I'm just saying. Right? Well, that's actually a very interesting example because oftentimes they're employees, but they're not usually employees of Rogers. They're employees of a third-party contractor ah. that Rogers is providing for. And then the question becomes, can they still be employees of Rogers in that instance? Because Rogers, at the end of the day, has so much you know control over that third-party contractor and therefore over those people driving trucks that's really interesting we're talking about the main factors in determining whether someone's either an employee or a contractor uh you want to chime in or have questions unrelated as it uh, pertains to your job no problem 416-870-6400 star 640 on sale we got uh, we got plenty of time to answer those next one on the list is this whether the worker hires their own helpers yeah absolutely if you've got your own helpers on your payroll you're starting to look more like a contractor but again, if all of your administrative staff or whatever other staff you need to do to do your job is provided to you by your employer, mm-hmm. that's, again, a strong indication that you're likely in an employment relationship. This one's interesting. The worker's degree of financial risk. Explain that. Yeah, again, I mean, the idea is that if you're truly independent and, you know, in business for yourself, there's risks and uh, there's certainly risk and profit associated with that. You have an opportunity to make a significant profit. The, the idea being, you know, the more you work, the more you can earn. And if you want right. to work an 80-hour a week, that's your choice as an independent contractor. Uh, at the same time, if if you're if you also have the risk of losing money in an endeavor, if you're tendering bids or if you're working, you know, inefficiently, not maximizing your supplies and things like that, you could potentially lose money on jobs. And that's again a strong indication if you're earning, if you have that opportunity to earn or the opportunity to lose money, that could, that's a pretty strong indication that you're an independent contractor in that situation. What does this one mean, the worker's opportunity for profit? Yes, similar kind of interconnected between the two. You know, indep- As an independent contractor, you can choose to work more hours. Uh, you can choose to take on more jobs. You can choose to only take on the most lucrative jobs if that's what you want to go for. It's that opportunity to earn profit, to run the business, that makes you a true independent contractor in that situation. And I guess uh, the same thing applies for this, and that is a worker's degree of responsibility for investment and management. Yeah, again, it's and it kind of speaks to also the integration part right. of how integral you are to the employ, employer's operations. You know, if you're a sales guy who's an independent contractor and that's the most important fundamental aspect of what this employer does, how can you really disassociate yourself, your business from the employer's business in that situation? And so the more integral you are to the employer's operations, the more and more, again, it looks like an employment relationship in that situation. If you're just sliding on here, we're talking about the uh, the main factors determining whether someone's an employer or a contractor. This may pertain to you if uh, you're not sure which side of the fence you're on. And anytime you want to call and clarify something, yeah, 416-870-6400. Star 640 on your cell. Uh, this one, and I think we'll we'll get to the bottom here pretty soon, and that is the degree to which the employer slash company controls the contractor. We just talked about that, right? Yeah, kind of all intermixed yeah. between the idea of the you know specifically, it's called the control test. How much control does your employer or company have over you? The more control they have, the more and more likely it's to be it, it is an employment relationship. 
Where do you stand with somebody that works? I mean, the, the example that keeps coming up in my head every time we talk about this is like a real estate agent who works for, you know, a Century 21 or a Remax. They kind of do their own thing. They, you know, they go out and get their own clients. But where do, where are they on that line? Or are they in that third category, which we're about to talk about, that is dependent contractor? Well, I think in that particular instance, you're probably talking something outside of that spectrum entirely. It's kind of more like wow. almost a branding franchise agreement at that point. Yes, they have certain, you know, uh, requirements that you have to meet to ex- display their brand, but you know, right. the, you, at the end of the day, as a real estate agent under a any any one of those real estate companies, you don't necessarily work for them. You're working for yourself in that instance. Now, oftentimes, those real estate agents will then have their own brokers who they der- uh, who they say are independent contractors, and okay. that becomes a more an interesting question to decide whether well, uh, you know if they are true independent contractors, which oftentimes I. I Find is not the case. You're pretty much working for you know a brokerage house who's taking a cut of your commissions, often providing you with leads and things like that. So that makes it look more and more like an employment relationship. Or as you mentioned, John, the, the next category, something in between the two, which is what we yeah. call a dependent contractor. Okay. Now, what's the again break down the difference between I guess all three, or at least difference between a dependent contractor and independent contractor. Sure. So the the list we kind of went down uh, earlier, that was c- the list to determine whether somebody is an employee or a contractor. And that's the first step really in looking at this analysis. You, you decide, is the person an employee or a contractor? If they're a contractor, then there's actually a second step that the courts have identified, which is looking at whether you're what we call an independent contractor or what we call a dependent contractor. Uh, so the main difference there. And the main factor in determining that is how financially dependent is an individual on the company. So to give you an example, if you're earning, you know, you might be working for two companies as a contractor, but let's say you're earning 90% of your income from one company. Okay. That's the situation where we would look at that and say, you know, you're so financially dependent on that company that you're what we call a dependent contractor. And dependent contractors, importantly, like employees, are entitled to a severance package. So if I'm not officially hired by this company, but I do... Okay, first of all, this is there a threshold as a percentage how much work I get from said company? Is it 90, 80, 75? How do you figure that out? Yeah, I wish courts worked in those type of numbers. They don't... No kidding. They always... Yeah. Uh, they always have thresholds more in ambiguous terms, you know, substantially okay. financially dependent. And okay. what that means could mean a lot of different things in a lot of different contexts. Uh, so there's no real, you know, number that you can point to and say, oh, I know I've crossed that threshold. I'm a dependent contractor. Right. I guess that's for you to argue if it ever if it ever gets to that uh, that level. Four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred star six forty on sale. is the number to call in, ask your questions about anything under the uh, the employment umbrella. One triple eight two two five talk. That is toll free. We'll get to some of your emails here in just a in just a little bit. Uh, another question comes up for, uh, when it comes to contractors uh, versus employees or even independent contractors for that matter. That is, I work for two companies simultaneously as a contractor. Can I still be an employee? Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Wow. It's still possible mm-hmm. in that instance to be an employee. Again, it, it would be dependent on, you know, there's certainly that one factor, the fact that you're not financially dependent entirely on one company is a factor that would skew towards the contractor side of things. But okay. the other factors, if the company controls everything you do, 
uh, if they're dictating all the terms, if they're reviewing your performance, if you're part of a team that's full of employees, if you have people who actually report to you, I mean, you can still be an employee in that instance. And, and another important thing to know is that employees can work for more than two companies. You can be an employee of two different companies at the same time. You know, it's funny, though, and I'm going to mention this. Uh, we haven't talked about it yet, and I'll tell you why. SeverancePayCalculator.com, if you want to figure out uh, pretty quickly what your severance should be uh, before a special job, before you sign anything that uh, a company has just let you go slide over the table to you, check out SeverancePayCalculator.com. And the reason why I mention that is the difference – okay, independent contractor, if truly an independent contractor, no severance uh, employee, yes, severance dependent contractor – Severance, but is it the same amount? Is it calculated the same way? Is there different deductions? Is it you know fifty percent of what a, an employee would make, or is it the same thing? So it's interesting you bring that up because there's probably been a case in the last few months that touched on this very point and pretty much really? said that oh. you know dependent contractors should be treated exactly the same as employees for severance purposes. They get you know you can't argue that they get less because they're dependent contractors. It doesn't work that way. So that that. You know, whatever company A, who's uh, responsible for 85% of my income, say, if they let me go or if there's no more work from them, I've been contracting those guys for, you know, 10 years and I'm in my mid 50s. I mean, I they could be responsible and I'm looking at a fairly decent chunk of change as far as severance is concerned, even though I'm a dependent contractor through them. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you're you're looking at the same situation as other any other employee who's been terminated. You're you know looking at a financially difficult situation, a period of reduced income and that's really the purpose of notice in in these instances in severance it's to bridge that gap to give people some security while they're out there trying to decide what they're going to do next Stan Fainzelberg is here doing the show tonight in Loyora's absence, and John is off as well, so we're covering uh, all the good things we do in the show on a, a nightly basis when it comes to Monday, Wednesdays, and the weekend shows as well. Been talking a lot about people in the situation of being an independent contractor or dependent contractor. Any potential consequences if one is found to be an employee at law, say 15 years down the road? Or, we always get this every time we talk about this subject. Someone on the phone line goes, oh, you know what? After hearing all this, I think I might have gone down the wrong path. I'm not an independent contractor. What are the pitfalls? Well, there's certainly one big pitfall, and that's uh, that's the potential from a CRA perspective to have your taxes assessed. Uh, you know, if you've been claiming taxes as a contractor for the last 10, 15 years, there's certainly the possibility that if a judge decides, hey, you're an employee, the CRA may take a look at that. And oftentimes you can argue that, well, I didn't know, I believed it to be a true contractual relationship. You can voluntarily disclose it to CRA and they will forgive a lot of the penalties. But that's one thing that I tell employees all the time who want to go down this path. You know, you got to be wary of going necessarily too far or, or getting that decision because there could be CRA consequences after that. Want to get into some emails? Uh, you want to send one along in the remaining time here? Help at employmenthour.com or otherwise you can call when the show is not on. That number, 1 855 821 5900. Tony, your email's up first. Tony writes in, says, I think I have been unfairly dismissed. They have just terminated my employment after over two years of work with a clean record. Can my boss just do that without any warnings? Yeah, uh, that's a great question, Tony. The unfortunate reality in tr- Ontario is that. Your employer can terminate your employment for any reason as long as they they complete two well two factors as long as it's not discriminatory as long as they're not discriminating against you on the basis of family status if they choose to terminate you in that situation 
and as long as they provide you with what you're legally entitled to in terms of a severance. But nevertheless, I mean, if you, even if you don't have any warnings, even if you believe you're the greatest employee that company's ever seen, at the end of the day, the courts are not going to tell an employer how to manage their own workforce. You know, and it's funny. I know you've probably run into this as well with the daily practice because we've talked about this. It's you guys spend so much, but even even before you, when you get to the conversation of severance and how much they're really owed, because almost guaranteed they're going to be shortchanged on whatever severance offer they're given. Almost always, uh, in the, yeah, in that envelope, you always have to get over that first hump of man, I can't believe I got fired. How dare they do that? How can they do that? I was a good employee. There was no warnings. You kind of got to push past that and say, you know, you got to look at the pot of gold at the end. Don't worry about why. You know, if they didn't like your T-shirt, they could actually let you go. But if they get proper severance. That's the part you fight so long and people have trouble getting their head around, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's completely understandable. It's Working is such an integral pers- uh, part of a person's life, yeah. and it's no. so personal when you get fired. I mean, it, it's easy to speak for us objectively sitting here from a thousand feet up talking about it, but when it happens to you, you know, it's hard not to take that personally. <laughs> Yeah. Cheryl's uh, email up next. Cheryl says, during a recent shift, I was harassed by a coworker, and now I'm no longer feeling safe at work. My manager has decided to protect my coworker, who happened to be one of his good friends, and said that if I don't return, uh, it'll be treated as a resignation. This is just a big bowl of wrong, man. What, uh, what should she do? Yeah. Well, I'm really sorry to hear about your situation there, Cheryl. I mean, it certainly sounds very difficult, and your employer is way offside in what they're trying to yeah. do here. Uh, there's a couple of things you can do. I mean, firstly, you can go to talk, to, number one, to the Ministry of Labor and ha- file a harassment complaint uh, saying that my, my workplace is not safe and I want the ministry to come in and do an evaluation and tell my employer how to do it by the book and make sure that it's legal and keep me safe in that workplace. Uh, and secondly, Cheryl, there's certainly no, your employer certainly has no right to call you not showing up to an unsafe workplace a resignation. Uh, clearly, you're not voluntarily resigning in that situation. You're being forced into it, if anything. And that is a very clear, A, termination if they actually decide to tell you huh. to not show up to work, or B, constructive dismissal in that they've substantially, fundamentally changed the terms of your employment such that you don't have to stick around in, in that situation anymore, especially in that toxic work environment. Going to try to slide Preet's email in here. It says, I work in sales where 50% of my pay is based on commission. The rest is on salary. My boss just announced that our commission rate is being lowered, but they will raise our salary to compensate. However, I uh, I did the math. It turns out that I will actually be making $15,000 less per year with this change. Can I refuse this change, the new rates? Yeah, Preet, that's a great question. And the, the simple answer is you absolutely can refuse that change. So the fact that, you you know, I mean, you obviously have a relationship with your employer and they agree to pay you a certain amount for your services, whether that is written down or if it's a verbal contract, in either case, that's a contract. And what your employer is really trying to do here is they're trying to change those terms unilaterally without you agreeing to it. And so if you can certainly say, you know what, I'm very happy with the terms of my employment right now, Mm -hmm. and I think I'll stick to those. Now, if your employer turns around and says, well, that's not an option, you you have to accept these and we're going to impose them whether you like it or not. Now, that's, again, what we call a constructive dismissal. The employer is unilaterally changing a fundamental term of the relationship, and you do not have to accept that. You can walk away, treat it as a termination, and fight for your severance pay at that point. 
And I guess if anybody in the sales uh, end of things is wondering how do you determine that uh, that severance with the pay generally in sales that goes up and down, I guess you take about a three-year average, look at it, and that's uh, based that number based on how many years of work and so on and so forth, right? Yeah. Uh, in the normal course, I mean, I'm ashamed to say that lawyers are pretty lazy when it comes to math, so we don't like to do very hard numbers, and oftentimes judges will just take a three-year average and decide that's the easiest way. But if you can convince a judge, because the whole idea is what you're going to be earning during that future period. And if you can convince a judge that, well, the three-year average is inappropriate because I've got a huge sale that's about to close. And if not for these guys constructively dismissing me or terminating me, I want, you know, I was going to earn $100,000 on that sale. So there are instances, especially when it comes to sales situations, where you can make an argument that the three-year average is not the appropriate way to do it, that you should look at, you know, these particular projects that are coming up and try to figure out the numbers, again, as much as lawyers and judges hate doing math. We uh, covered quite a bit of stuff on here. Uh, nicely done for your maiden voyage, my friend. I know you'll be back. Stan Fainselberg, you want to reach out and get a hold of him anytime at the firm, one 821 5900 It is helpandemploymenthour.com. We did mention once, we did touch on it, and I'm sure you know it by now, severancepaycalculator.com as well. We will be back in here Wednesday night doing this exact same thing. Answering more of your questions, the weekend shows and Employment Hour and 30 happens on Global TV and CTV on your weekend mornings. Till next time, on behalf of myself, thank you very much for joining us, your phone calls, and Stan as well. We'll do it all over again the Employment Hour, but stick around. Lots more is on the way. No need to go anywhere. On Point continues with Alex Pearson next, right here on Global News Radio.